Welcome to Beef and Forage Roundup with host Chantal McRae. This podcast is a production of Manitoba Beef and Forage Initiatives, created to share information with farmers, producers, and agriculture enthusiasts, and to showcase the important work that is happening at MBFI. Our podcasts drop on the first and third Wednesday of each month. We will be sharing information through interviews, general manager, Mary Jane Orr, project leads for various projects, MBFI team members, speakers from our extension events, industry leaders, and industry suppliers. This podcast will dig deep into on-farm research and field testing practices related to beef cattle and forage production and efficiency and sustainability of practice in the agricultural industry in Manitoba. We will be sharing information on upcoming training and workshops, field and farm demonstration tours, education materials and events at MBFI, as well as producer profiles from around the province and information on their own trials, challenges, innovation, and results. We encourage you to browse our social media accounts and website for links to more information on projects, upcoming events, and important deadlines. Information on our social accounts and website can be found following the show and in the show notes. As always, we encourage you to email us if you have feedback, questions, or topic suggestions for the show at information at mbfi.ca. Dana strives to support inspired thinking and action in agriculture and rural communities. By thinking broadly and deeply about the systems upon which our society depends, Dana sees us better positioning the industry and our communities for the future. Dana's work with Holistic Management Canada and with the Human Venture Institute has been foundational in developing her passion for supporting people to become resourceful, resilient, responsible, and adaptive. Dana's formal education was in animal science, earning a Bachelor of Science from the U of A, but her much-valued informal learning has come from being on the land with other humans, flora and fauna. She believes that grazing livestock and poultry can heal our planet. Today we're talking to Dana Penrice about her experience with Holistic Management Canada, Ecological Outcomes Verification, and the Regenerative Accelerator Program. Welcome to the podcast today, Dana. Thanks so much for having me. You're so welcome. We're happy that you're here. To start with today, can you share a little bit about your personal history and background in agriculture? Sure. I love sharing that. I grew up on a small farm. We were, it was 14 acres. It was like a hobby farm. And I always kind of said that I never really knew like what it was really like to be a farmer because we like as a family, we weren't like financially dependent on it. But we had cattle and horses and pigs and chickens and all the things. So I always kind of felt like I was like in this in-between space, kind of between like the producer and the consumer or rural and urban. And it was a great way to grow up. And then I went into animal science. I kind of did like everybody else where it's like, oh, I want to be a vet. And then maybe about four weeks into university, I was like, I don't want to do this for uh, eight years so I decided I didn't want to be a vet and kind of coming out of a university I worked both in like agriculture education and getting the public engaged in like where their food comes from and then I also worked in poultry and I was working in the poultry industry and really had this kind of like I was doing like communications and marketing and I was photoshopping chickens in the barn to to take all the dirt off their feathers and like make them look whiter. And I kind of like had this epiphany moment where I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> this is crazy. And that was kind of like the start of like getting me 
interested in what was then like sustainable agriculture. I spent some time working in organic agriculture and then kind of with my work there kind of became aware of regenerative agriculture and kept running with that. So that's the Cole's notes of my involvement. It's super cool that you can like pick that moment and know like that's kind of where your trajectory changed a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like one of those things where you're just like, I don't feel like I'm doing the right thing in life, right? Like I need to figure something else out. I can't do this my whole life. Cool. Yeah. So today we have a few different topics that we're going to cover, but first let's discuss Holistic Management Canada. Broadly speaking, what is holistic management and how is this similar or different to regenerative agriculture? I love this question. So I became involved in holistic management in 2009 and my partner, Ted, we were living in the city at the time and we had dreams of farming, but just weren't there. And he said to me, like, you got to come take this course with me. And I was like, I don't have time for that. Like I'm doing other things. And he's like, no, he's like, you do anything for me, like come and take this course with me. And, and I did, and I loved it. Holistic management really brings together like a lot of the different pieces of the farm because, you know, sometimes we talk about like a farm is a lifestyle or a farm is a business, but farms are so many things. They're all of those things all at once. And so what I loved about it was that it really had a strong focus, not only on like the land practices, like grazing animals and finances, but it had a strong focus on the people side of things of you know, how are we working together as a couple or as a team and how are we communicating with each other and you know what are what are our real goals here that we want to get to and yeah that's kind of what I fell in love with and it's really helped us to kind of have that north star and keep us kind of helping us to make decisions of like are we headed towards that or away from that and finally ended up getting us onto the farm eventually uh, when the opportunity came up Like I would say that holistic management is, we call it like it's a decision-making framework. As humans, we make decisions like, you know, well, sometimes we don't even think about making decisions, right? We just get out of bed in the morning and, and brush our teeth or, you know, we go out and do our chores and holistic management is almost that like higher level thinking of like, why do we do those things? Like why, why are we doing those chores? Why did we choose to farm? And how do we want to farm? And so it kind of gets people out of that like daily kind of monotonous kind of thinking and like, let's think higher, more strategically about where we're headed, Um, which farmers don't often talk about like being strategic, you know, but we don't, you know, that language, we don't really use that much, but that's what you're essentially doing with, with holistic management. And holistic management includes planning procedures in it. So There's land planning, financial planning, grazing planning are all part of it. And to me, what the difference between regenerative agriculture and holistic management is, is regenerative agriculture is like the practice that you want to implement and the principles. It's, it can be for many people, it's like their why we want to farm and it's the way they want to farm and holistic management really is like the tools to help you get there. So you know, you want to switch over to regenerative practices. What's that? What does that look like your, for, for your financial plan? Holistic management can help you to kind of sort through that. Yeah. So it's kind of more of like a all encompassing kind of mm-hmm. 
why behind this? I actually didn't know the answer to that question. And yeah. so for me, that's that's really interesting because we practice a lot of the regenerative agriculture principles. And Brett and I have talked about why we do things, but just knowing that the holistic management piece is kind of that big, broad picture of why and where do we want to go? And I think for a lot of people that take it, well, like I find it really interesting to see, see why people take it. So like it started up in Canada in the late eighties, early nineties. And then especially during BSE, a lot of people took holistic management because their farm was going under and holistic management actually saved their farm. So they have this like really strong emotional connection to holistic management. But now what I see is like for people taking the courses and participating is that I see a lot of like younger people interested in it who are trying to start farming, you know, don't they're coming to it actually usually as like almost like a second career and they often have management type experience already. So they often just like come and pick up the framework and run with it. It's like the thing that kind of pulls everything together of what's happening on this farm and where we headed. So yeah, it's, it's super interesting. That's also really interesting. Like the demographic of people that you're seeing who are taking the courses. And we're going to talk a little bit more about those courses in a few minutes, because I definitely want to hear more about kind of what they encompass. But first let's talk about your role with Holistic Management Canada and what that is. Yeah. So I am the managing director at Holistic Management Canada and I mean, my role, we don't have very many staff. Like, so the way that that it works in Canada is that there's been educators in Canada since the 90s. And those are people who've put on courses and done different workshops and things like that, kind of on their own for a while. But a few years ago, that group decided that it would be important to have an organization to kind of bring the network together. And we've always, we've ran a conference for a very long time, but help to organize a conference and things like that and put that under an organization. The network and kind of community has been there for a long time, but the organization there is just really there to kind of help support it and build it and grow that network. So yeah, that's, I guess what I do with it. <laughs> and so are you full-time with Holistic Management Canada? Not right now, maybe someday, but I'm like many people in farming where I wear a lot of different hats and So I work with Holistic Management Canada, and I also work with uh, young agrarians. Nice. I have a quote from the Holistic Management Canada's website about us page. Retrieved October 15th, 2023. The full link to this page is included in the show notes. There are 271,935 farmers in Canada, managing approximately 153 million acres of farmland and ranch land. Land managers are facing growing uncertainty from increasingly unpredictable weather patterns, unstable financial conditions, and raising societal pressures. 2023 has been another unprecedentedly difficult year for farmers and ranchers on the front lines. Across Canada, in all ecoregions, farmers and ranchers are facing the same challenge. We have been living through relatively stable conditions and have gotten by with a recipe-type approach to land management. If I do this, I can expect this. In this new uncertain world, this approach no longer serves us. We need an approach to management that helps land managers predict changes, diagnose problems, design solutions in contextually appropriate, adaptive, and timely ways for the ecology, economy, and for society. Holistic Management Canada is growing the network of practitioners and educators in Canada through our programs and our courses. 
What is Holistic Management Canada's objective and how are they working to achieve this? Yeah, I mean, like organizationally, our objective is to grow the holistic management network and build those stronger connections among people, build those peer connections to help people learn from each other. You know, really in in this work, like, you know, us as Holistic Management Canada or us as educators, we're we're actually not the experts. I love Don Campbell. He's like the grandfather of holistic management in Canada. He always says like, you're the expert of your own farm. And we're just here to kind of help facilitate you in figuring out where you're headed with that. So that's our goal with the organization. But I think holistic management globally, so there is a definitely a global network of people involved in holistic management. And there's kind of a purpose to the framework itself. And to me, this is what, what it's really about is that we need to be adapting the way that we are managing landscapes. You know, we're seeing increasing desertification. Like I was reading something about like how when you look at a, a map, Canada, like kind of that that middle line, that 100th meridian is like the center of Canada. And that's where the ecology starts to switch from prairies to kind of more boreal, like a wetter kind of condition. And that line is actually starting to move that desert. I mean, the prairies aren't in a desert, but like that drier kind of climate is increasing. And so like when you think of a globe, those areas that are dry in Africa and you know, Asia, all those kinds of places are actually increasing. And and why is that? A lot of it is happening because we're taking animals off of the landscape and removing a really important element of that ecosystem and that environment that helps to maintain it. And that's one of the big drivers of climate change. And so as farmers, as land managers, like we need to be, you know, part of how do we adapt to that changing context and how do we, you know, try and mitigate those kinds of patterns from taking place as much as, as we can. And kind of, to me, that's what regeneration is all about. Like, how do we add more back into that ecosystem and help it to function in a healthy way? I feel like cows always get a bad rap. And that's something that the conversation continues to bring up is, is cows and what they're doing to the environment. But when you talk about those grasslands and kind of what that environment needs in order for us to combat, I guess, or reduce or slow down the global warming, those cows and people who are farming any kind of livestock, really, uh, when it's done in a responsible way, have a huge ability to change the trajectory of the path that we're on. And so Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah. And one of the concepts in holistic management we talk about is brittleness. So when we're talking about those deserts or those drier regions, those are really brittle environments versus like the boreal forest or like a a rainforest, which is a non-brittle environment. In a brittle environment, one of the questions I often ask people in courses or, you know, wherever I'm talking about this stuff is like, where's the moisture in those environments? So it, it only rains maybe like once a year or in an extreme desert or like there's very little rain in those environments like where is the moisture and the answer is when when the ecosystem was functioning well that moisture is actually in the rumens of the herbivores so that's why it's important for us to have cattle in these ecosystems because they they have a really important niche so they're going you know they're taking the moisture and going out onto the landscape and 
urinating and defecating. And those little patches are kind of revitalizing that soil and keeping the microbiology alive. They're cycling the nutrients within that environment. And when, as managers, we can be mimicking the behavior of the large herds that used to be on the prairies um, and kind of bunching them up. And you get this like bigger effect that happens through the trampling, through the urination, through that reintroduction of moisture into the environment and nutrients. And that's what's, you know, can be that reversal of that desertification process. I totally would have got the answer to that question wrong. I was going to (laughs) say that it was either in the roots or within the structure of the grass. So yeah, well, it is right. Like the animals, but like, where does it come from in the first place? Right. The animals bring that out. Right. No, that's interesting. What are some of the courses that are offered through HMC and what can participants expect to gain from these? Yeah, so we do courses kind of all all over the place. Basically, it's like if you want a course in your area, like reach out to us. We've got like, I think, 12 educators across Canada. I might have that number wrong, but somewhere in there. And, you know, they're more than happy to come and, and organize something with you. The courses are usually between like four and six days in length and we try and organize them so that it's convenient for people to come. But what we cover in those courses, we spend a few, you know, days working on like that goal setting and that vision, like what is that North star for you and your farm? And, you know, sometimes some people really kind of struggle with that, like big picture thinking that blue sky thinking of like, where do we want to go with this enterprise that we have? Some people come like with it where they're like, we know exactly what we want to do. And, and that's okay. You know, we we kind of start with wherever everybody is at. But what we find is that we really try and encourage like couples and families, you know, people who are farming together to come to take the course together. And, you know, what we find in those conversations, they're just a really great opportunity for somebody to say, you know, this is what I think we're headed towards. And somebody else to say like, oh, really? Like, I didn't know we were including that. Or like, I didn't know this was your goal or that type of thing, you know, those conversations might not have happened at home. So it's a place to kind of bring that out and and for everybody to get clear. My friend took holistic management when he was like a young kid with his family. And he said, you know, they asked him what his goal was. And his goal at that time was to get a TV in his room. (laughs) And he's like, at the time, there was no way that that was going to happen. But he's like, I got that out there. And like, eventually, you know, whatever the deal was, he worked towards that with his parents and got a TV in his room. And now he's he now he like took over the farm, right? Like, it's kind of a childish little story. But, you know, it's about recognizing everybody who like who's all the decision makers, let's bring them all to the table and, and get them involved. It's pretty um, neat to have that whole family kind of structure there right to have everybody that is important to that business be present yeah Yeah. and we really try and highlight okay who are the decision makers and usually the way that we tell that is it might be like on our farm for example like I don't spend every day outside I have an off-farm job my partner Ted and his dad do a lot of the like daily decision makings but I still have a stake in this I still feel like I'm a decision maker my name is still on some of the assets right And so we kind of help people identify that. And then if all the decision makers aren't there, we talk about like, okay, how are you going to engage this other person? 
And usually the way we define who the decision makers are is if they have veto power. So, you know, we farmed in Alberta for a while at my parents' place. And that was always a struggle for us is like, my dad was like really good at like handing everything over to us. And we were making most of the decisions. Sometimes we wouldn't include him in all of our decision-making, but in reality, he was a decision-maker. Like he's the one that could say like, okay, no, you can't do this thing, you know, because he was the landowner. But yeah, so kind of working on getting that out. Really, it's like the first part is like about setting the context. What's the context that we're working in? Who are the decision-makers? What's the land base like? what resources do we have to draw on including like financial resources physical resources and like social resources like neighbors and people like that they might not be decision makers but they're people we can rely on and then we start working towards okay what's the future vision that we're trying to create here and how are we you know what what do we need to set up in order to get there so you know if somebody comes up with a vision of like you know we want to have healthy water and lots of biodiversity, you know, what, what kinds of things do we need to do in order to get there? Maybe we need to have, maybe we're a grain farm and we need to have more livestock integration to increase biodiversity, those types of things. So that's usually like a third of the class. And then um, the next chunk is usually around financial planning. So taking that vision, okay, what do we have going on? And then what, what's the financial plan look like? So what money is coming in, what money is going out. And we work on some really key principles in the financial side around like planning for profit. So starting with profit first, like let's set a goal of like how much money we want to make on the farm instead of, you know, it's one of those things that our expenses always rise to our income. Like, it, you know, it, unless we really have a plan of like how we're going to save some money or how we're going to build that profit, we just kind of let them go. Right. So getting that down on paper or on a spreadsheet is what we're working on there. And then we do some things around like prioritizing expenses. So if you have a dollar to spend, what should you spend it on? You know, you don't, you want to spend that, that dollar in the most smart way that you can, that's going to get the biggest bang for your buck in terms of your business. And in terms of getting you towards the goals that you're going towards, you don't want to spend that money kind of frivolously. So we do a deep dive into that. And then the last part of the course is grazing planning. So most of the people coming to the course have livestock. Doesn't mean you can't come if you don't have livestock. Um, there's other planning tools that we have around crop planning um, that we can use too, but lots of people come to it for the grazing planning. And that's all about like getting the, the animals to the right spot to do the right thing at the right time. And, you know, working on some of the things like if you have a problem area, say you have like a weedy patch that you want to deal with, how do you make sure that the animals are going to end up in that weedy patch when it's a good time to address that problem? And a lot of that grazing planning too is around just understanding like the inventory of grass that's out there and matching that to the amount of animals that you have in order to utilize that grass best in order to both support the performance of the animals and also give back to the soil so that you're renewing that soil for for future years as well nice so there's a lot of things really involved in there so no wonder it's like kind of a four to six day school 
Yeah, they used to be 10 days, but like people just don't have time, right? Like it's part of that back to that context, like people are busier, people have a lot going on. And so we're trying to cram it all in. We also have been trying to put together some online courses. We have a couple up on our website now where you can kind of take them more as modules and work your way through them, through them that way. Nice. And do you have any upcoming classes or courses that you kind of want to shout out? I don't know if it'll be super relevant depending on the timeline, but. Yeah. So in the new year, like kind of somewhere between February or January and March, there'll probably be a course happening at Pilot Mound in Manitoba. And then I don't know if you have uh, audience members in Alberta, but there's a course being organized in Alberta and then some kind of being organized in Saskatchewan. So really it's like, come check out our website. Uh, and if you don't see a course happening there, just reach out to us and uh, we'll work with you to organize a workshop in your area. Well, this would be a good time to plug the website. Do you want to give us that website name? Then I can add it into the show notes for any listeners that are looking for it. Sure. Yeah. It's uh, holisticmanagement.ca and you can find information all about the courses, the educators, our conference, and then our programs, uh, which I think we'll talk a little bit more about uh, coming up here. Perfect. So we are going to switch gears a little bit. So Holistic Management Canada is working with farmers to bring the ecological outcome verification to Canada. Can you explain what EOV is? Yeah. So this has been a really exciting development. So so Alan Savory is the founder of holistic management. He put all of this together, that whole decision-making framework together. And one of the things he observed is that as holistic management was rolling out in different countries around the world, there was two places that it really, there was a strong uptake early on, and that was in Canada and Australia. And the two things that those places had going on was that there was a strong emphasis on management groups. So after courses, what we encourage people to do is to form a management group that ends up being like a peer group that helps you to keep learning and keep supporting each other as you move along. There's some management groups that have been meeting for like 30 years. And the other key thing that was happening, probably maybe a little bit more in Australia than Canada, but is a strong emphasis on monitoring And actually going out and observing, you know, okay, we've changed some management practices here because we've been planning differently. And is this actually making a difference? And from that observation, the ecological outcome verification program was developed by the Savory Institute. So the holistic management has always really had strong monitoring components to it, you know, because it's like you make a plan, whether it's your financial plan or your grazing plan. And you go out and implement it. And of course, inevitably, plans fail, right? Something happens, the tractor breaks down or what, whatever, like the cows get out, <laughs> all kinds of things. And so the important part of planning is the replanning part. So observing what's going on, what's not working, and then coming back and going through that plan. Again, that's what makes this whole thing adaptive. So anyways, so monitoring, so it's always had strong monitoring. Uh, component to it but at the same time there's like pressures from the research field like you know the marketing world to like how do we actually show that regeneration is taking place so I love the way that they talk about regeneration they offset it with degeneration basically so if you can imagine like a graph chart going up 
kind of up and to the right. Like regeneration is what we're heading towards. It's like increasing uh, soil health, increasing water holding capacity, that kind of thing. Degeneration is, you know, decreasing those things. And sustainable is really like the definition of sustainable is about like maintaining status quo. And so that's kind of in the middle. It's like you're kind of not making things worse, but not making things better, right? And so with regeneration, we want to be moving in the right direction. And when we're measuring regeneration, it's not about like the current place that you're in right now. It's like, what direction are we headed? Are things looking like they're getting better? Are they looking like they're getting worse? And so the ecological outcome verification kind of came to be when some scientists from Argentina kind of got involved and formed like a more rigorous monitoring, took the monitoring protocols that were there and just made them more rigorous so that the scientific community would be, you know, satisfied with them and that they could be turned into like a verification standard. So what we're doing with EOV, and this is being implemented around the world is essentially what we're we're doing is just measuring ecosystem health. And we do that in a couple of ways. So we do short-term monitoring where we go out and it's a very visual kind of an exercise where we're looking at um, like functional groups, like we're looking at all the grasses and saying like, okay, you know, how are they doing? Are they healthy? Are they increasing in reproduction or are they non-existent? We look at legumes, we look at trees and shrubs, all those kinds of things. We look for bare ground. Bare ground is like a really big indicator of whether something is regenerative or not. Bare ground is like the enemy. So we score hard when we see (laughs) bare ground. We're looking at what, like, what is the water system doing? Like, is there signs of erosion happening? All of those kinds of things. So we go out to a farm and we go to about 10 or 20 sites around the farm and do those kind of assessments and basically create an an ecological health score for it. And then alongside that, every five years, we also do long-term monitoring. So the short-term is what we call leading indicators. These are indicators that are showing that like a change is taking place versus long-term indicators are showing that like a change has happened. That's why we only do it every five years. And that's um, looking at things more like water infiltration rates, soil health, carbon, and we do like a full species inventory over a plot of land to, you know, see what the biodiversity is actually like. You know, a lot of it is like built on rangeland science kind of work that some people have been exposed to. And so, yeah, we're bringing that to Canada. We've done probably 25 farms now in Manitoba. This is a project that's funded by the Manitoba Habitat Conservancy. And the idea is that this protocol is meant to be very like farmer first, where we take the farmers with us out in the field. So they're very involved in that observation of their land. And it's often like we're grabbing them in the summer to take them out, you know, tour around their farm. And they're like, oh, I never come to this part of the farm this time of year. (laughs) And, you know, they get really involved in, in thinking about, okay, like what management decisions have I made that has made this, this effect kind of happen. In the States and in other jurisdictions like Europe, they're starting to build that EOV into a marketing tool where they have a program called land to market. And you can, once you've like shown that your land is regenerating, that you can use like a label on your products 
Um, and we have a couple of farms and companies in Canada who are starting to explore that with us and starting to use the label. Cool. And that rolls really well into my next question, um, which uh, is why is ecological outcomes verification useful for producers and how can it be used as a management tool for land managers and producers? Yeah, like the data is very much, so we produce a report at the end and the data is very much meant to be for the producers to start to integrate back into their management plans. So one of the things we can do when we go out is we'll like measure the amount of forage that's out there. And that forage inventory of their whole farm can be really helpful for them making decisions about what's the carrying capacity of this land? Can I increase my herd or should I decrease my herd? So there's some direct ways that it can affect the profitability of the farm. But also just like, I mean, I would say for the most part, the farmers that have evolved are just really excited to see some of those really small little observations. Like myself and the monitors have seen lots of different farms. So we find some of those like really unique things like, oh, like you're, you've got this grass species growing here and we haven't seen this anywhere else. So I think it can kind of give the farmers like a boost, right? Of being like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm doing things right, which is important. And then I think like kind of broadly, this isn't really part of your question, but like I live in Southwestern Manitoba and there's like so much conservation work being done. And I think this fits really well into that where it's like, yeah, we've got like the PFRA pastures that like, you know, have really great bird conservation stuff happening at them, but like what's happening on the farm right beside it. Right. And I think that farmers are doing so much for conservation and biodiversity and you know, water stuff. It's like, let's, let's go out. Like, how do we know that that conservation is actually taking place? Let's go out and measure it. And we can do that. We had a, a bird study done on our farm as part of the general mills program. And yeah. like, it's so eye opening when you have an expert come out to your farm and say, okay, this is what I saw or I heard in the case of the birds. And this is how many species you have versus kind of what the average is. And then you can kind of put yourself on the map of like, what I'm doing is working and this is how I know for sure. Or yeah. maybe there's some things that I can change in order to do better. And it's it's kind of a neat tool to have somebody come out and say, okay, this is where you're really excelling or this is kind of where you stand against other farmers in this area. So it's pretty totally. neat. Yeah. yeah. And then like when we're telling the public that like we're doing these good things, mm -hmm. it's like we can show that, right? So you've kind of touched on the market label a little bit already. But can you tell us more about that partnership and what it means for both producers and consumers? Yeah, I had like a, one of the things that I'm really interested in, in this work is like, is the social side of things. I kind of mentioned that back talking about why I got interested in holistic management, but I really think that like, in terms of like, I spent more time in the farmer world than in the, the consumer world, but Everybody talks about like finances is a barrier to getting into regen egg or, you know, practices is the barrier, like education, you know, like, so yeah, I'm really interested in the social side of all of this. And like, I think that there's people talk about the barriers as being like finances of like, it's too big of a financial risk to get into regenerative egg. Or they think it's like education, like we need another workshop. I feel like there's so many workshops, like we're overloaded with workshops. To me, the biggest barrier is social. It's like, what's happening in the family? What's happening in the neighboring community? You know, it's that social pressure of like, I don't want to do this because I don't want to be seen as the weirdo or like my dad won't let me do this because, 
you know, it's not the way he farmed. So yeah, I'm really interested in this, like, it's almost like a behavioral transition that people take. It's like, why do people do this? Despite all of these like social pressures or the financial side, like why do people even, you know, decide in their mind to make that change? I've had a conversation with somebody recently who's working more in the ag education side and getting consumers on board. And what I realized is that the transition is like the same thing. It's like, how do you get consumers to change their behavior from maybe prioritizing convenience to thinking more about like where their food comes from and maybe looking for labels and changing their purchasing decisions. So like, I think that the pathway is actually really similar. How can producers implement EOV on their farm and what does the process look like? You've kind of shared a little bit about that already, but if you want to expand at all. So if you want to do EOV on your farm, just reach out to us. We're offering EOV across the prairies and into Ontario. Um, we're interested in, in working in new regions too. EOV is really also very context-based. So, you know, the kinds of plants that we would be looking for or the way that the ecosystems behaves right in like southern Saskatchewan where it's much more drier conditions is much different than it works in like boreal forest kind of regions that we have in Manitoba. So we tailor all of our scorecards to those ecoregions. So if you're in a new ecoregion, we might have to do a bit of work to update those scorecards, but we're totally open to doing that kind of work. So yeah, just like call us up if you're interested. And we've, we've had a few farmers start to do that. Yeah, and then the process basically is, is that we figure out what date would work best for you. We have a few monitors across the prairies and in Ontario that can come out to your place. And then to do the assessments, it usually takes about a day. And then we produce a report for you with all of the data kind of thing after that. So yeah, that's kind of the process of it all. Cool. And you've just mentioned the EOV monitors. So what does their role look like and kind of what does it entail, I guess? Yeah, that's been a fun part of this project is I feel like I feel like there's young people that are looking for jobs in regenerative ag and, you know, they want to do good for the planet. And I think this is like a fun way for people to do that. So we train monitors. We have like a process that we work through with them to get everybody the biggest the hardest part is getting all of our monitors eyes trained to each other so that we're observing the same things and scoring things in the same way so we do uh usually at the start of the year we'll all get together on one farm and just monitor it all together so we're kind of all speaking the same language and and yeah then their, their work through the summer is to go out to farms and do assessments so our main monitor right now Bronwyn she does maybe we're working up to having her do like two or three farms a week. Um, and then they do the kind of data processing. We, there's a database that all of that, all of that information goes into that helps us to produce the reports for the farmers. That sounds like a really interesting position. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's some farmers who we've trained who are kind of doing it like as a side hustle mm -hmm. kind of thing. I mean, it's not like something we don't quite have enough farms yet where we're like, it's a full-time role for somebody, but it's really interesting work to get involved with. And we're happy to like have more people become involved and, you know, go and do a few hours here and there or in their region. 
switching gears, I guess a little bit more, one more time, uh, what is the regenerative accelerator program and what are the program's main goals and objectives? Yeah. So the regenerative accelerator program really helped us to bring EOV to Manitoba. We got funding from the Manitoba Habitat Conservancy through the Conservation Trust to put together this project where we're providing farmers with uh, a few different resources to help them transition into regenerative. So we're kind of trying to work with like novice regenerative farmers, like people who kind of have got the principles down, but maybe haven't been able to figure out how to implement it on their farm yet. And I find at least that in Manitoba, there's actually a lot of money out there for farmers to help them with these kinds of projects where it's like put in fencing or put in water lines to improve their grazing systems. But one of the things that we're trying to do with that is we're providing like a more holistic way to do that. So we're providing funding for projects, but we also are providing like time with a holistic management educator to do some pre-planning. So how does that project fit into your financial plan, your grazing plan, your overall goals for your farm? And then we're trying to provide that expertise and help on the management side of things. And then uh, also include the EOV as part of that. So how, how do you start to know that the project that you put in and the management changes that you're making are actually uh, making a difference and, and changing the landscape? So kind of trying to go all the way from the project planning to implementation to, to monitoring that project. And I didn't think to ask you before, but is there a cost to producers for having the EOV mentor come out and to have that process done? Yeah, there is a cost to it. Um, and we it just, if you're interested, just reach out to us for that. Um, we are like with the regenerative accelerator, we are including that as part of the program. So with the regenerative accelerator, we usually have applications uh, come in in the fall. And then uh, we choose 10 farms across the province that we end up uh, working with on that program. That's awesome. It's a really good opportunity for people that if they're trying to make some changes to get a little bit of money to help them with some of those tasks. So that's yeah. awesome. And you've mentioned this already a little bit too, but how does this program support producers beyond say that money incentive or having the mentor come out? Are there other things as well? I mean, yeah, we're trying to build those relationships just like everybody else. Like I think that that in thinking about that, like social change, like what helps people to make that transition I think the biggest thing is peers. So everybody's trying to encourage like peer-to-peer networking right now. So we're doing that in our program too, of like getting those producers connected to each other who are working on these projects and just sharing like what their ideas are. And we're trying to push the envelope a little bit too of like, you know, it's not like, yeah, putting in fences and water lines is great and can be really helpful. What are like some of those like really interesting out-of-the-box kind of regenerative projects that that are harder to get funded elsewhere? Like, is there ways that we can support that? What is included in the application process for the Regenerative Accelerator Program? And when is the deadline for applications? The deadline is November 30th. Okay. Uh, and for the application process, being a producer, I've tried to make it as like minimal as possible. Um, so it's not paperwork heavy basically just like tell us a little bit about your farm what you're trying to do you don't really even have to have your project set out yet if you have an idea for your project you can share it with us but it's more where you're at on your regenerative journey 
and and kind of what what resources you need at that time. This episode will be released after the application deadline, but I think it's still important information to share with our listeners so they can keep it in mind for next year. So we're going to switch gears one more time because we had a lot of different things to talk about in this episode. You're also active with Young Agrarians. Can you mm-hmm. give listeners a little bit of information about this program and what your role is with them? Yeah, so I work with Young Agrarians, but also Holistic Management has had a strong partnership with Young Agrarians. You know, when we think about like, what is the future of farming collectively for all of us? One of the things we need to be regenerating is not just the land, but the farmers. And that's what Young Agrarians is all about. And there was a survey done in 2015 of new and aspiring farmers across Canada. And 68% of the respondents to that survey didn't come from a farming background. And so when we think of who that next generation of farmers is, you know, some people will definitely be the children of farmers, but there's a larger and growing community of people outside of farming who want to get in. And so when we think about like, okay, how do we train those people and how do we get them engaged? The model is quite different than what we've traditionally had. And that's all the work that Young Agrarians is trying to do. So They've got really great website and events where people can just go and find resources and start to hear stories about others getting into farming. Often we hear at Young Agrarians events like, I never knew there was other people that were crazy like me and wanted to try farming. And from there, Young Agrarians has other programs that can kind of help people along that farming journey. So I started the apprenticeship program in the prairies. And because what I was seeing was that there was like a lot of older farmers who are ready to retire and don't have a successor. And then these people who are curious about farming, but how do we get them trained up to be able to take on an opportunity like that? And I look to the states, actually, to the Quivira Coalition. They had a really great apprenticeship program down there, and they were kind enough to just let me run with their model. So apprentices spend like a you know, kind of like four to eight months on the farm. Uh, It's very hands-on. And we, again, that peer support, we really work with them as a cohort. So they get to go and see each other's farms and just really try and remove that sense of isolation that people can often feel. And then, yeah, so trying to just get people with that experience. It's been, we've been running it for seven years now. And like, it's really exciting to see people like start their own farm from that. And then we also have a business mentorship network, um, which is for people who are in their farming journey. They're kind of in year one to five, and they're really looking for that kind of somebody who's been there before to kind of help them with the business side of um, lots around like, how do you figure out cash flows and what does a cash flow look like in this business, you know, in say market gardening or in, you know, grazing cattle. So we work to pair people up uh, with that. Uh, And that's a new program to the prairies that we're really excited to get out to people. Um, And it's not just for people who are like starting up a farm. It's also for people who are transitioning a farm. Like, you know, if, if you're starting a new enterprise on your farm or like you're working with your parents, but like you really want some of that outside expertise, um, that program can be really great for that as well. And then Young Agrarians also has some really great online content. So for those people that are really curious about farming we have like a how to start farming course that's like very very basic and like what's it like to work on a farm and 
you know, what are the opportunities that you can get to try and start farming? We also have a business boot camp that helps people to like work through their business plan and kind of pull it all together. That course has a lot about lending and things like that in it. So it's really trying to do this like wraparound services to new and young farmers to really support them uh, in order to really get going and, and be there for the long run, right? We don't want to just like get people in. We want to get them pe people in and help them to be sustainable and regenerative in their businesses. That's super cool. I kind of wrote down a quote there while you were talking and I love the idea that not only regenerating the land that we're farming, but also the farmers that are farming that land. So that's yeah. a really neat way to look at it and to continue bringing people in to the profession yeah. of farming and bringing in people, like you said, that maybe don't have that background necessarily, but who are curious or interested in it. Yeah. And I think there's so much opportunity. Like when, when I talk about new farmer stuff, people are often like, oh, there's no way, there's no way you can get new people <laughs> in because the cost of land or the you know, access to capital is just too hard. And people are, but it's like people, despite that, people are doing it. And there's lots of opportunities. I know lots of older farmers that would love to work with a younger farmer and mm -hmm. do like a non-family farm succession. And they just work through all of those barriers. Um, there's ways of doing it. So it's all about like just sharing those stories. That's cool. Yeah, I'm gonna have to look more into that. That's really interesting. Yeah. Just kind of a random question. What are some of your favorite resources to share with producers? <laughs> I was, I should have done my homework on this one. This is not, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's not like a farming kind of book, but it's a book that's been like on my mind a lot lately. It's called Change by Damon Santola. Sorry, I just wanted to look back and make sure I got the name right. And it's about network and it, like it has nothing to do with farming. Well, I think there is actually a really good farming example in it, but it's talking about uh, like, how do ideas spread through a network? And one of the things it talks about is like firework networks versus fishnet networks. And a firework network, you can imagine what it looks like. It's like you have one person who's like in the middle and they're, they're you know, like a social media influencer, say, and they can like fire out, uh, you know, a new thing really quickly. And it, the book talks about like some of the myths around like influencers, which I find really interesting where it's like often, you know, we're like, oh, if we can just get like this famous person to like talk about this, that everybody will then get on board. But it talks about how those like those famous people or those influencers, they have too much at stake that they don't want to actually try and change. It's really hard to get them to take on that new idea. But what they see actually happen is that the change actually happens in like the periphery of a network. It's like the people on the edge start doing things and more and more people doing those things causes everybody else to do it, which is super interesting. But then the other thing they talk about is with, is so that's the firework network. They talk about fishnet networks. So you can imagine like a, everybody's like part of a net and like this person knows this person, you know, like Bob knows Jane and Jane knows you know, Sherry and Sherry, Bob doesn't know Sherry, but they know each other through that person kind of thing. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, this is how rural communities work, <laughs> especially Manitoba, because uh, everybody seems to know each other. And that that's a really strong way to cause for social change to happen, because there's this like reference to each other. It's like, you know, Sherry doesn't know Bob, 
but Sherry knows through Jane that Bob has done this thing and that there's trust in that because they're each part of the same community. And I think that that's why the peer networking is really working for farmers. It's like when you hear like somebody in your community is doing something, you might know not know them directly, but you know that their context is similar to you. There's, you know, there's just a bit more that you can work with there. And, it, and it's talking about how like that kind of social change lasts versus like the firework social change that that idea just goes through the network and then it's gone kind of thing, which I think is so super interesting. So I spent a lot more time actually reading books like that than farming books. It took me a long time to watch Kiss the Ground because I was kind of like, yeah, I get the story. <laughs> we're, I'm, we're all living it here. <laughs> no, and that's good because I think some of those like big ideas come from places outside of just things that are, say, super obvious that people might read. Yeah. Have something a little different. So yeah, I'm going to have to see if I can get a hold of that book and read it. Sounds, sounds interesting. We were just talking the other day about like the, what is it? Two degrees of separation or whatever. And, and how in agriculture, especially, it seems like, like you said, if we don't know one person, but we know somebody else and somebody that we know is going to know both of those people, but might not know both of us. So Mm -hmm. it's such a small world in agriculture. And is there anything else that you want to share with us about any of the topics that we talked about today before we wrap up? So one of the things we do as Holistic Management Canada is we organize an annual conference and it's kind of rotated through the prairies annually. We're trying to reach more people. So this year it's going to be in the Peace River region and that'll be February 9th, 10th and 11th. And we're really looking forward to going up there. There's been a lot of holistic management practitioners, lots of people who started out early on in the holistic management history. And it can be really fun to bring those stories together. And we kind of had the same thing, you know, with the courses, with our conference where it's very family-based. So often we'll have, you know, three months olds all the way up to, you know, people pushing their 80s. And it's it's a different conference for people to go to, usually super it's often super positive and like hopeful is one of the things that we hear from our participants is like, you know, it's not another conference of like everything that's going wrong in the industry. It's like people are excited to talk about like their futures and what they're headed towards. Awesome. If listeners are looking for more information on the conference, where can they go to find that? Just on our website. Okay, perfect. And so we've already mentioned the website, but if people want to get in contact with you, what would be the best way for them to do so? You can email me at danapenrice at gmail.com. And I'm on social media too. I'm not super active, but like on Instagram and Facebook. And so is holistic management. We're growing those networks on there too. Cool. And for Facebook and Instagram, just with your name, or do you have a different? I think it's just my name. I don't even know I'm not on there enough. (laughs) Google me, you'll find me. I'll Google it and then I'll add it to the show notes so that if people are looking for you, then they know where to find you. Thanks, Chantel. No problem. Well, thank you so much for taking your time today to cover all of these topics. I think there's a lot of really great information and lots of really exciting things that are coming up for producers that they can start thinking about and that they can find online to move their businesses forward. So just thank you so much for taking your time today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Beef and Porridge Roundup. 
For more information on the research projects or upcoming extension events, please visit us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MB Beef and Forage. For full project reports and more information about MBFI, please visit our website, mbfi.ca. If you have feedback on the show, questions about content, are interested in becoming a project partner or contributor, or want to submit a proposal for a research project topic, please email information at mbfi.ca. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to ensure you don't miss an upcoming episode. The research programs and daily operations at MBFI would not be possible without funding from the Province of Manitoba, Government of Canada, and the Sustainable Canadian Agricultural Partnership, as well as partnership with Manitoba Agriculture, Manitoba Beef Producers, and Ducks Unlimited Canada.